I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Surprise. We're going to repeat a video that we showed last Sunday because it was so powerful. And we're going to do it in a couple, we're going to do it in a little different format. We're going to show some video that I'm going to talk, show some video I'm going to talk a little bit. It's going to be kind of interactive. But I want, first of all, the reason I thought about this was, you know, I, I take the time throughout the week because I have the time. And, and I watch a lot of videos. I listen to a lot of other men preach. I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts. I listen to a lot of music. And I thank the Lord that I can do that. Because when I was in a job, I didn't have the much, as much time as I do now. But I would encourage you, though, to try to do something throughout the week. Do something throughout the week to listen to another pastor or to another teaching or, um, oh, make sure it's Christian, please. Um, to, and, and, or if you want to, what you can do is you can go onto our centerpointassembly.com website or you can go to a, an app we have on a smartphone and you can listen to last Sunday's message here because they're posted every week. So if you miss a Sunday, if you want to know what's going on in your church, I would recommend go back and listen to last week's message because sometimes they relate to the other one. And I don't say that self-servingly at all because I don't even like to listen to myself speak. So it's not about that. It's about what's going on in this church because I do believe the Lord is leading us. I, I do believe enough that the Lord has given me the words to say and I'm saying the words the Lord is saying so they're important to be heard because the Lord has given them that, for that reason only. So I would encourage you to do that. So... Um, I thought what we would do this week is to go back and listen to this video again that there are times where you just can't, you have to hear something more than once for it to settle in. Am I the only one that has to hear something twice, maybe three times, maybe four or five? Yeah. Oh, my, thanks, Greg. <laughs> I knew I was different. So um, we're going to do this again. And, and the text that we're using today, we're going to be talking about being God's masterpiece. And what does it mean to be God's masterpiece? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, in the New Living Translation is our text. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, in case you don't know, all of these scriptures were put in the back on that round table, so you know that. Hopefully you picked them up, and that way you can kind of keep, if you want scriptures, you can have them, Okay. So we're going to go ahead and jump into the video, and we're going to then talk a little bit. And I pray this morning, first of all, let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to help us with this. Father, I just pray that your ministry, your word, your message would come loud and clear in our hearts today, that we truly are your masterpiece. And help us to see ourselves that way, not in our own self-righteousness, but, God, in the way that you've created us to be. Help us to allow you to be the, the chiseler, the sculptor, in our life to, to sculpt us into what you would have us to be. And I pray, Father, that we would hurt, that we would learn and do in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go ahead and start. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, Dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? 
I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. All right, so first of all, he defines being a, ma a masterpiece as what? Being in the image of who? Christ. Yeah. So he's going to define us. He's going to create us into his masterpiece, be being in the image of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but he's got a lot of work to do in my life. When you pray, do you expect God to show up? How surprised would you be if God just all of a sudden showed up right next to you? I'd probably come out of my shoes, just, out of, just so you know, because uh, I would, it would surprise me. But seriously, though, when we pray, do we expect God to speak back to us? Do we give him time to speak to us? Do we expect God to answer us? Or do we just think that we're just throwing up words, throwing up darts into heaven, and maybe they might get heard or maybe they might stick? I would like us to recognize the fact that God is listening to your voice. And he does want to answer you, but it's not like going through the fast food line at McDonald's. You're going to have to wait on God a little bit. I just wonder, we've been, it's been a while now since we spoke on it, but we spoke three or four weeks on having your personal tent of meeting. Are we doing that this morning? Are we having a personal tent of meeting? Do you know how important it is to spend time alone with God? If all your time with God is on Sunday morning, do you know how much you're missing? Because God speaks to us in the quiet times, in the still times. And if we're not giving God the opportunity to speak to us in our quiet time, then you're robbing God and you're robbing yourself of what God wants to do. There is significance in being alone with God. We see this in the life of Jacob. If Genesis chapter 32, Jacob here is, you know, Jacob and Esau had this little, had this little confusion, had this little fight about food. Remember Jacob gave up or Jacob stole, basically, the birthright from Esau. And now Jacob has left, and now he's been away from Esau for quite a while. And they're, they're arranging a meeting, so Jacob is coming back to meet with Esau. And Jacob is pretty nervous about meeting with his brother because his, he's afraid his brother is very angry with him, and he's not sure what he's going to do. So he's sending out all kinds of peace offerings in advance of him. So he's sending out teams of, of, of people with sheep and goats and animals to try to appease them. But here it is. It says the most important part of this in, in, chapter, or in verse 24 of chapter 32. So Jacob was left alone in the night. He sent his wives and he sent all of his, his female servants and his 11 sons and his daughters across the river. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the, with the man. 
Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Who is this man? It was an angel. It was an angel of God. And, and the, the, the significant thing is the angel didn't come until Jacob was alone. He didn't come with his wives were there and his children were there and all of his animals were there. Jacob had to be alone with God. Jacob didn't have in, any intention of meeting this angel in the night. He didn't know this was going to happen. But the time spent alone is the point that God wants to separate us from the distractions of life sometimes and get us alone where we can listen. Think about it this way. If, if your boss had something to critique you on, do you think he would do it at a Christmas party? Or do you think he would schedule an appointment with you alone in his office? Let's say you have an accountability partner. Let's say that you've given somebody the authority in your life to speak into your life. Would you want that accountability partner to tell you the things that you're doing that he's seeing in your life in the middle of a church service? Stand up right now and say, Scott, I'm seeing some things in your life that aren't right. Or would you want your accountability partner to say, Scott, let's have a cup of coffee. Yeah, see, we do things like that alone. We don't do things like that. And God's a gentleman. God's not going to come to you in the middle of a church service and call you out. And sometimes we don't want to get alone because we're afraid that God's going to call us out on something. James McDonald says this about being alone with God. God confronts you when you're alone and focused on his word. This is the setting where God speaks to us, alone and quiet. Sometimes we don't get alone with God because we sense that he is going to say something that we don't want to hear. But friend, that is completely a lie from the enemy. Every word that God speaks gives life, encourages and births hope within our hearts, even when it's corrective. Don't avoid him. Run to him. He's waiting with open arms. So when we pray, don't be surprised when God shows up, but let's give him the time. Here we go. Okay, all right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Wait, wait, what are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running. I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe... Four to five, maybe eight lines right here. That would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. Oh, the platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Guys, make, they're making a point here that we say things sometimes and do we really mean them. Are we really wanting to be chiseled and to be like Christ? And are we willing to go through the work? James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And he goes on in a couple verses later. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by, what, by my deeds. Now, it doesn't make any difference 
if these deeds are good works to people, other people, or if I'm actually going to be just working on my life like God wants me to work on. If I go to God and say, God, show me in your word what I need to change. If I'm, like James says later, like a man in the mirror, goes looks, looks at himself in the mirror, but when he walks away, if he forgets what he looks like, what's the point? Are we given time to God to talk? And then are we willing to do the work? Because it is a cooperative thing here. We have, to, we have to allow ourselves to be chiseled. We have to allow ourselves to work. Then we have to go to work. We have to do some things a part of, as part of God's chiseling process. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, you compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, mean, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Boy, there's many times in our life that we're not saying it. We won't admit it, but maybe this is one of them. Maybe we're not really wanting to all God to do the work in our heart. Maybe it, the way he needs to be. See, we can claim that Jesus is the center point of our life. We can claim it easily, can't we? But are we really living like it? And we can come up with all kinds of excuses that would seem to justify ourselves and our imperfections to make us more like the world so the world can associate with us better. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus lived a perfect and a pure life before the world. He didn't have to dirty himself up. No. And we don't either. We can live a life of perfection according to God's word to the best of our ability. We could strive for that. We don't have to reduce our standards to meet into the world's standards so we can be accepted by them. We talked about this last week. There's a time process in the sculpting, sculpturing process. And, and the first day the sculpting begins, it looks pretty much like a big rock or a tree trunk or whatever. But as the, as the person with the chainsaw or the chisel starts chiseling away, every day it should look more like the finished product, right? So for those of us that have been Christians for a while, are we looking more like Christ Every day? I mean, are we really, can you look back at, can people see Christ more clearly in you today than he did yesterday? Or are we holding on to some things that would cloud the picture maybe a little bit? Are we truly becoming what the sculpture wants us to be? 
They said in here that the Holy Spirit is going to bring up some things in their life. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things that I want you to work on. Now, he gave us a list of examples. Anger, comparing ourselves to others, telling little white lies, lazy but looking busy, having a problem with lust. I don't know if those are your problems or not. It is not an exhaustive list. There's many, many things in our life that, we, that the Lord needs to work on. Now, the question is, are we allowing God to, look, to work on our life? And that is something that we older Christians need to look at this and look at it seriously. Am I looking more like Christ? When I look in the mirror, who am I seeing? If we're truly going to be living examples of Christ in our world, we have some work to do, and we need to be willing to do that. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things or life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. What does control look like in your life? Are you controlling God? Do we really think that we can control things in our life better than God can? Do we really think that we can or we should control the rate of our Christian growth? Our progress, that we have the freedom or we have the the liberty to start and stop when we want to be like Christ and when we don't want to be like Christ? See, maybe we don't look at it that way in that black and white perspective, but Really, we can become complacent in our Christian walk very easily. Very easily, we can be complacent and and only want to go so far with God. God, I'm going to allow you to go so far in my life, but from there I'm going to stop it because I've got to slow it down a little bit. I've got to take a break, God. I've got to take a break from this holiness. What does that really mean to take a break? A break, so what? That I can go back and sin again? A break that I can stop reading my Bible for today and tomorrow I don't need to pray. I'm, I'm going to take a break from my Bible reading. I'm going to be, take a break from being in your presence today because I've had too much of you recently. <laughs> what are we really saying here? What's the heart saying? Basically, it sounds like this person wants to take a break from, from this progressive act of sanctification or this progressive act of being more like Christ. See, sanctification is defined as being set apart set apart from the ungodly practices of the world and from our own human fleshly desires. It's a continual process of spiritual growth and development and maturity by God that refines us to be more like Christ. That's what sanctification is. If I want to take a break from that, what's really in my heart? What am I saying to God? If we think that it's healthy and good, to take a break from this process of forward progress, that just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. Working really hard on a diet only to splurge, you know that doesn't make any sense. Working really hard on your financial budget only to go out and max out your credit cards again, that doesn't make any sense. If you're an alcoholic or a drug addict who has been on, a, on the, the, the wagon for a period of time, it doesn't make any sense to take another drink and go right back into it, does it? See, for those that have life-controlling issues like that, you know what it means to be consistent. You know what it means to stay strong. Why do we give ourselves a break spiritually that we say, God, I'm going to take a break now. I've had too much. 
Too much, too much church stuff. Too much stuff. I've got to take a break. Take a break from what? To do what? To go where? If we find ourselves thinking like this, understand that we're listening to some lies. Understand that we're maybe down the wrong road. Maybe understand that our relationship shouldn't be what it should be with the Lord. And this should be a huge flag in our hearts. This should be a huge warning to us to say, Mike, wake up. You're thinking the wrong things. You never can get too much of me. And if you think you need to take a break, wake up. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish. It's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize. Heavenward. Secret sins. Do you have any? Come on, those little secret areas in your place that you'll, you'll go to and you don't let anybody else go back there. Let me ask you a question. Are they really a secret? Who do you think you're hiding them from? God knows all about them. And probably your spouse does too. And probably those closest to you know that you have them too. So what is the secret sin stuff? Why do you think we could even get away with it? Jesus didn't have a lot of patience with people that dealt with secret sins in their life. Can I tell you that? Jesus was very direct with people when it comes to this kind of living. Matthew chapter 23 beginning at verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Not the message to win people and have lots of friends, but that's the reality of what Christ sees in us. Now, we may dismiss this passage because we're not a teacher. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a leader. Yes, you are. Yes, this applies to you, just like it applies to me and everybody else. You're a leader in this community. You're a leader in your home. You are a leader in this church. This applies to all of us this morning. You cannot skate out of this one. First thing we need to understand is there is no such thing as a secret sin. No such thing as a secret sin. God knows exactly what you're doing, and so do you. So let's stop playing the games. That's love, guys. That's the love of God. He would say, stop playing the games. I know it anyways. You're only hurting yourself. Put away those life-controlling things. Stop them. If you're having a problem with an addiction, ask me. I'll help you. I'll help you with it. I love you so much. I'll help you with it if you'll ask me. But don't think you're going to hide it from me. 
It's just easier for us to acknowledge our problems and rid ourselves with that living, that hollow and deceptive lifestyle. You'll be so much freer. You'll be so much more fulfilled in Christ. You'll be so much happier, and you'll be so much happier to be around. Because when you stop playing the games with life like that, you're allowing the Lord the power to change you and change me. If we want to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful, do you know what you have to do? Be good and faithful. Right now. <laughs> right now, you need to be good and faithful. If you want him to hear, if you want to hear him say it to you then, then now is the time to start. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not oh, my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't. Do you see why it's important that we have alone time with God? Because see, I would want God to speak to me that way when I'm alone, but not necessarily with you. <laughs> You know, I want God to be honest with me. Do you want God to be honest with you? Yeah. Do we understand what sacrifice and suffering is all about? Do we really understand it? I think Jesus understands suffering a little bit more than we do. Now, you can say, well, Mike, you have no idea what I've had to give up. I mean, I've had to give up some of my friends. I've had to give up some of my free time, spending what I wanted to do to read the Bible and to pray. I, I've had to get up earlier than I, than I normally would to go to work so I can have my prayer time. I mean, come on. I'm here at church early and I'm here at church late. I'm, in, I'm involved in all kinds of ministries outside the church. You have any idea how much I sacrificed for that, Mike? No, I don't have any idea how much you sacrificed for that. But I would ask you, does that compare with what Jesus did? Isaiah chapter 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. That's, that's suffering. That's, and why did he do it? Do you think he suffered so that he would have a higher place in heaven? Do you think that by him suffering on earth that he would have a higher standing in heaven? Do you think that God would respect him more because he suffered for you and I? Do you think the angels would respect him more? Do you think Jesus got anything out of this? No. Jesus didn't do this for himself. He didn't suffer because it made him better. He got nothing out of it besides a relationship with you and me. That's why he did it. He did it for me. And he did it for you. And if we can't suffer a little bit for him, what kind of character is God trying to chisel in your life? And are we willing, are we willing to suffer for him? You can't want. I, I, I can't be good. 
That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Do you remember last week we talked about, we asked the question, how does God see us? You know, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them perfectly. They were good. Perfectly in every way. Perfect in every situation. Perfect in every, everything God created in Adam and Eve was perfect. And you know, that's really the way he created us to be as well. But yet sin, the curse of sin and death have gotten in the way and now we're imperfect. But God still sees the potential in us. He still he sees the potential in you to be that perfect creation. So don't let the devil tell you that you're junk. Don't let the devil tell you that you're not good enough. Just say, I know I'm not good enough in myself. You're not telling me, devil, I, don't, I think I don't know. I know I'm not good enough in myself. But in Christ, he's perfecting me. Good. Yeah, but you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um... I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. Who's holding your hand? Whose hand are you holding? When my kids were young, you all can relate, relate to this. When you're walking down the sidewalk, you might, I might let Tyler or Aubrey hold on to my finger, right? They're holding on to my finger. We're having a good little time. But when you come to the sidewalk, when there's an intersection, there's cars coming, what do I do? I grab hold of her hand because I want to make sure that she's not going to let go of my finger and jump out in front of that car. Well, that's what God does. You may be holding on to his hand, but when you fall down, he's still holding you up, just so you know that. Don't let the devil, don't, don't let the devil tell you you've done something so bad that God doesn't love you. Don't let the devil lie to you and say that you are so bad, your life is so bad, you've, you've done so many bad things that you're junk. Don't let him lie to you. John eight forty four. for he, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Chisel away. Just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult. And I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not for me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug... 
You think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I? You know, we've all played the game with the pinata. And we put the pinata up on the, up on the, the rope. And we take a stick. We hit the pinata trying to break it open, right? Because we want to get it to candy. <laughs> well, you know, God's not afraid to look at the inside of your life. He knows what's in there, in your life. He knows that. He knows you're a scared little boy, a scared little girl. But don't listen to the lies of the enemy that would tell you that God doesn't care. He knows what's in your heart, and he's willing to go in after it because he loves you so much. He's willing to go into the pain that you have. He's willing to go into the secrets that you have. You have. He's willing to dive in deep in your life so that he can bring you back to the top. That's what he wants to do. He loves you that much. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That, how can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh, my God. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello. Oh yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say? that you love me even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times did I hear you say you want to use me and I feel so useless if you'll take me and use me then God I give you all that I am take me I love you, God. I love you, too. Do you really believe God loves you? Sometimes I think we probably doubt that. We often speak of love, and yet I wonder if we really have a clue what God's love is all about. Do you understand that God's love is unconditional, yet it has great demands? God's love extends as far as the east is from the west, yet it's so personal that it sees every detail of my life, every detail of your life. God's love is so all-encompassing, yet it never looks over anything. Nothing escapes the attention of God. God's love forgives, yet it requires confession and repentance. God's love is perfect, yet it embraces imperfection, with a plan to bring it to perfection. He just doesn't accept it as, well, I made you that way, I'm going to leave you that way. His plan is to chisel you, whittle you down, if you're willing to let him. God's love covers all sin, yet it requires surrender and submission. If I'm not willing to surrender it, he can't cover it. If I'm not willing to uncover it, he can't cover it. 
If I'm hiding it, if I'm running from him, he'll never catch me. Yeah. You realize that? Do you realize how much power you have in your choices? And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a, as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Man, I'll tell you, if we could grab this right here, if you could get this little nugget right now, this would set you up for how to live a victorious life in Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, in, in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. If we could really understand the truth here, that God loves us so much that he's not willing to let us stay, he's willing to work with us, and then know that we're going to have troubles in life even after we accept him. I think that's the biggest problem that Western Christianity has is because we've believed the lie that many people say, believe in Jesus and your life will be good. Nobody said that. He didn't say that at all. In fact, in Luke chapter 21, starting at verse 12, he says something like this, especially as we're coming to the end days, which I believe that we are in. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. So believer here with me, we're going to go through some hard times. But don't give up. Don't let that knock you off your saddle because you know it's coming. We're going to win. James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil has to flee from you. When you submit your life under Christ, when you submit, what does submit mean? It means you give all of yourself to Christ. Not just say the words. Not just like you said, little head knowledge up here or a gushy little feeling. No. You submit your life to Christ. You make up your mind I'm going to live for Christ if I have to live here all by myself. I'm living my life for Christ. You come to Christ that way. You submit your life to Christ. Resist the devil. You're a guaranteed winner. You may not have the biggest house but you're a winner. Because God says, I'm going to give you eternal life. Would you rather have the biggest house or eternal life? I'll take eternal life any day. Does that mean I don't want a nice house? I'll take the nice house. If God gives it to me, I'll take it and I'll enjoy it. And I'll use it for his glory. 
Jackie, if you could come and get ready as well. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. You know, as we end the service today, I want you to know that to be in a masterpiece of God takes lots of time. And uh, we could drum up a lot of emotion. We could say, everybody that wants to be a masterpiece of God, come down to the altar and we're going to lay hands on you and we're going to anoint you and boom, you're going to be the masterpiece that God wanted you to be. But if I said that, I'd be lying to you. If I just said that because I wanted to see if this was a good service and if you were listening or not and if God was convicting you, then you would all come down to the altar. It would be all about me and it's not about me. It's about you. And so this morning, I want to challenge you this morning as you go throughout your days. Are you allowing God to chisel your life? Tomorrow, this afternoon when you go home, when you're with your family. If you need to do some work on it, do some work on it. If you need to repent to somebody, go to, repent, go to somebody and say, I'm sorry, I've been thinking wrongly of you. I haven't been praying for you. I haven't been holding you up in high regard as I should be. Do what you have to do. Do what you have to do. Do whatever God's laying on your heart to do it. It's not going to happen all the time around there, even though that's good. Even though it's good to come before God and get on your face before Him and cry and weep a little bit, and it's good. But it's not all. There's so much more to take out of this than what we can do just today in the next five minutes. Does that make sense? Go back and listen to this again if you have to. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, first of all, let me tell you how thankful I am that you've called me. How thankful that I am that you know my name. How thankful that I am that you love me. And I'm thankful, Father, that you've given this challenge in my heart to know what it really means to, to submit and surrender. So, Father, I just tell you that I'm all in. I'm all in for this. Even though I slip, and even though I make mistakes, and even though I fall down, I know you're holding me up. And I thank you for that. But, Lord, I commit to you this morning, along with everyone in this building that I pray would be agreeing with this prayer. Maybe they're praying it themselves in their own words, and that's even better yet. But I'm committing my life to you that I really want to be your masterpiece, which means that I'm going to look like Christ at the end of the day. That when I look in the mirror in the morning, I'm not seeing just a better version of Mike, a new and improved version. 
No, I'm actually seeing Christ come out of me. I'm actually seeing Christ come out of my eyes. When I speak, I actually see and hear the, the words of Christ come out in love to people. That I actually see that happening in my actions. That's how much I want this. And Lord, I pray that I'm sincere now and that I'm not going to forget about this when I walk out of this church today. That I'm really going to let this settle in and I'm really going to let this thing take hold in my life. I need you, Jesus. I can't do this alone. Holy Spirit, I give you full control and I'm asking for you to lead me and to give me the power of grace. Grace is the power that allows me to complete the process. It's not just the grace that I can go on living like I am. It's the grace that changes me. That's what I want. That's what I need. So Holy Spirit, I give you the authority to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing, and we'll just use this as a committal time, and we'll just thank the Lord for this greatness and this mercy in our life.
Father, we thank you. Lord, to just go with us to our homes today. Go with us as we go through our week this week and embrace us with your love. Let us know that. Let us be encouraged by your love and how you have a, a plan for us, that you are walking before us throughout this week today and you are meeting our every need. We thank you. We honor you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Be blessed today. The Lord's got good things in store.